Hey, this is Torsten. Welcome back to the High Tech Ventures podcast. And this time our guest is Rick Howe. He's a partner at Speed Invest, and Speed Invest is one of the few venture capitalists in Europe who actually invest into early stage deep tech startups. During our conversation, we will touch upon topics such as how he finds the deals he's going to invest in, the overall landscape of deep tech startups in Europe, and especially the comparison between investing into usual tech startups and deep tech startups, because this deep might make a difference in how you can assess and how you need to invest into those ventures. Rick will also share with you what deal structure for spin-offs from universities he deems as investable and beyond that his perspective on the landscape of sustainability ventures. As a tech guy by training, he actually lives the interface at which he's working between the newest technologies and ventures. So let's jump right into this conversation. Enjoy it with me. Hello, Rick. It's my pleasure to welcome you on the High Tech Ventures podcast. Before jumping deep into how you see the field of deep tech ventures as someone who is experienced in investing into those type of startups, uh, we would like to understand who you are, um, why you ended up and how you ended up investing into deep tech startups. So please share a little bit about your background and who you are. Sure, no problem. Firstly, I would like to say thank you so much for inviting me to attend this uh, podcast. It's always uh, always excited to share some of views on the deep tech, you know, uh, side of things. Yeah, maybe a quick intro of myself. So, so my name is Rick Howe. I'm, I'm partner at Speed Invest, a deep tech team, primarily looking after all the deep tech investment activity at Speed Invest. And regarding my background, so. Uh, very technical background study like computer science, artificial intelligence, like 11, 12 years ago, and then work in the tech, you know, company banking for quite a long time doing AI research. And probably the interesting fact about why I, how, how come I move into the, you know, venture side is basically I, I attended lots of uh, hack zone activity before. And during those uh, hack zone competition, I actually meet some investor on the, on the late stage, I actually grow stage investment and then i've been keep talking with this uh, person for quite a long time and then he actually bring me into the other side of the table and that's where i ended up in the in the vc world so interesting is before i enter into the vc i have no idea actually about the early stage investment and even the cap table for me is quite a, like a new thing but i feel it's after being there for several years, I feel this is really actually very relevant to what I learned before and also actually provide lots of uh, edge compared with other investors in, in this uh, deep tech investment world. Understood. So and now that you have made this transition from being a tech person to an investor, what are the most striking learnings of the past couple of years? What would the younger Rick would have loved to understand prior before moving into the investment space, so to say. Yeah, definitely. It's a great question, actually, because what one thing I keep saying to people is uh, as a deep tech investor, you are not only looking at technology. So if I'm a technology like technologist or, for example, a software engineer, or AI researcher, why I look at stuff, I probably only focus purely on the technology to understand how advanced the technology, how unique of this technology. However, on the other side of the table, as an investor, you need to understand more about basically the holistic view of this venture rather than just the technology itself. 
as a deep team, deep tech investor, I'm looking for definitely looking for technology advance, you know, advancement or some unique thing. But at the end of the day, I need to link this, you know, unique thing, USP of the technology with the actual business. For, for example, I can give you a very simple example is um, some professor from one of the top university could develop something quite unique in the world. But end of the day, if you look at the market side or look at the commercial side, probably there's not too many use cases. There's not big potential market. Then from the venture view or from the investor view, this may not be super attractive. But however, from the pure technology perspective, this could be one of the best technology in the world in that particular field. So, so I would say if I, if I can you know, go back like a couple of years ago, maybe you know, also for, for, for everyone who want to enter into this uh, like deep tech investment world, I always think it's better to understand both sides you know, of the equation, not only about technology, but more about like the product market fit, you know, the market potential or the commercial side of things that will give you a different understanding of the technology actually. So it's a different perspective, I would say. And I think it's key for bringing together all those different perspectives for the startup teams themselves, of course, also for the investors who are going to assess the startups and then ultimately give the money and support them on their journey. And of course, many other stakeholders that may be involved in that process as well. And we'll touch upon that and dive deeper into those processes in a couple of minutes. But before we do that, maybe could you give the audience a picture of who is Speed Invest? Um, what what is the fund structure? Also, who are the people on your team uh, supporting the investment? What are their backgrounds? So give us some some flavors about Speed Invest so that we understand why you are uh, in this deep tech space as well. Sure, sure, no problem. So Speed Invest is a pan-European early stage uh, tech venture capital. So we primarily invest in early stage, you know, tech driven startup. When I say early stage primarily means like pre-seed, seed, or seed extension. Basically, we do everything before the Series A rounds. And total AUM under management at the moment is roughly 650 million euros. So one of the largest seed fund in Europe. And um, my team is primarily looking for like deep tech related startup. And we have uh, five team members basically spread across uh, different you know countries within Europe. We have uh, Emily, so who based in France, we have TMC based in the Dach region. Um, myself and someone, uh, and also my other colleague, actually based in uh, UK in London. So we basically cover different regions within Europe, and also regarding the uh, the background. So we're all coming from relative technical background. So me, a little bit computer science, AI. My colleague also TMC from biotech. Emily from more quantum, and Afghani from more physics background. And also we have uh, Oliver Holly, who is our managing partner, who mainly from entrepreneurial background. So we have a mixture of uh, background who basically allow us to look at different subjects within the deep tech, which I know we will potentially cover you know, later in other questions as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so give me an idea because early stage and pre-seed um, seed stage, this is this is really early stage. So how do you see the landscape of venture capital, especially in Europe, when it comes to deep tech and why are you trying to cover this very first stage of startups? Because it's the most riskiest one uh, as well, of course. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. Actually, you know, no matter which sector, fintech, marketplace, deep tech, 
you know, C stage is always uh, the most, the earliest one. Also, probably the highest risk as well, I would always say. And compared with other sector, deep tech is even crazy because most of the time, you know, people still need a long time to do the R&D. And after maybe another two or three years, you didn't see the product. But having said that, I think deep tech has a big potential because eventually what happened is once the deep tech uh, product or the founder find the product market fit, they can grow the company exponentially compared with other linear potential growth in other sector. That's where, where we feel deep tech is kind of like really can be very attractive from investment perspective. Secondly, as a technical background, I always love to talk to the you know tech founders because you know sometimes when I talk to some AI founder, I used to study quite a lot of AI. If they speak some, if they find out something, I know a lot, but I couldn't figure out. Then I just feel so amazing to talk to those people. I just myself just really want to help them to achieve to help this thing to make them to become a real product to really change the world. So that's basically my personal objective as well. And regarding early stage deep tech, it is indeed very, very, I would say risky. That's why the type of skill set or the knowledge you need for deep tech investment is quite different, I would say, compared with other sector or even late stage, because there are not too many financial metrics or any other kind of KPI or indicator that is very clearly you know, to show to the investor. Therefore, normally the approach we have is we go deep dive into the product to understand what exactly the founder thinking in the long term and their vision. And also we have a regularly understanding of the potential market, potential technology opportunity in the next couple of years. So I, I would say that that's where how we basically deal with this, such an early stage deep tech investment. Okay, and, and you mentioned already that Speed Invest has quite some track record in investing into startups in Europe, uh, coming from the usual tech startup world um, in the very beginnings. I know that uh, Speed Invest uh, started their their investment activities when I was in Vienna, um, living there, working there. So I pretty much know know the origins. So and and if you look at what your colleagues are doing in the more tech investment space, how is that different? Investing into maybe e-commerce startup, something that is maybe purely software based, whatever it's tech as compared and as opposed to the deep tech stuff that you're investing in with your team. Yeah, um, I would say generally uh, in so some perspective is quite different, but some perspective is very similar. Like for example, in the C stage, we, we all pay attention or we basically talk to the founder quite a lot because at, at the end of the day, you know, in the C stage founder is very important. However, for deep tech, it's a little slightly different is at least our criteria is we normally prefer the founder has a strong, little bit strong technical background, or at least it's a domain expertise, have a strong domain expertise in one particular technology area. And secondly, we want to see something like strong founders market fit. Why is it founder market fit? For example, if they are doing like cutting edge AI or some quantum, you know, related technology startup, we, we prefer at least one of the founder is really the expert in this particular field in, in the technology who can who can become the vision and the thought leader in the long term that's potentially on um on probably on the founder side i would say very similar between other sectors but what really different is the market opportunity side i i would say it's slightly different for deep tech you need to have a much more deep understanding of the market potential because for maybe fintech marketplace uh, by the way, this is maybe my personal view, so it may, may not be correct with uh, to every investor. 
But for some other sector, firstly, when you assess the deal, it's not that really hard for you to understand. For example, today I bring a new type of e-commerce. Probably even without the e-commerce background or without even understanding marketplace, at least you can understand within certain period of time. But think about today, if, if I bring a new photonics deal or semiconductor or even cutting edge AI, even the people who study this area still need a lot of time to digest, to understand really what that really going on. So that's one fundamental difference. So you need to have a better understanding. And then the second stage is the market potential, the other stuff I mentioned. Lots of deep tech stuff, you potentially cannot see an immediate effect or immediate needs from the customer, see within six months or within even one year. So you need to understand a little bit much better of this market potential. Because I can give you an example. Sometimes for some deep tech company, they develop something new. You pick up a phone and you call some of you, your connection in the enterprise, in the industry. People may give you a very negative feedback. They may say, oh, this thing probably never been able to use most of the time. But after one year, this technology suddenly become the thing in this industry. But compared with other industry, other sectors of investment, most of the time you can get very, I would say, relative accurate feedback from some of the, you know, from your connection in the industry to see whether this is the trending or something. But therefore, in deep tech, I feel this is really, really fundamentally different. And secondly, is and most important, probably the last point I want to mention is this uh, product market fit. Because for deep tech, normally the product market fit takes a little bit longer time. And how you help those deep tech founders to achieve the PMF, I think we have accumulated a lot of experience in the past several years. And we know how to assess it. We know how to help them to hit the target. So I think that, that that's really, really high level, but you know, we could spend hours to go into such a like low level details to analysis the, the different. But overall, I would say deep tech, I would say on the people side, very similar, but on the market product side and how you view the deal is dramatically different. Because you touched upon product market fit, it's a very interesting concept. And I would um suggest or i would i would think that for a typical tech company probably one of the first questions of a tech investor would be what what is your traction to what extent have you validated your market have you validated your product already uh, for a deep tech startup this might be quite hard to do because they are maybe still tinkering around with the technology which brings me to the question at what stage what technical majority do you start looking at those startups and what do you demand from them after investing into the pre-seed seed round, for example, what kind of KPIs to hit? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's another great question. And also, there's no like general answer, actually. Sure. So it's depend on actually different technologies slightly. I, I probably can answer this in two ways. One way is, like, for example, we use AI or some other semiconductor technology as an example. Within AI, normally these days, you have something called applied AI. And you have something called cutting edge AI. So when I say apply AI is uh, like the technology is pretty much there, but you try to apply to solve some business problem. In that way, actually, it's much more easier to define the KPI to look at the product market fit in the traditional way. Because normally this type of deal, they already know what kind of business problem they want to hit and using what kind of like AI technology. So it's more like traditional way, particularly if SaaS-based business model. Hmm. However, for cutting edge AI, it's completely different because sometimes they may 
they may be in a situation most VC investors don't like. It's basically solution looking for problem. So right. you develop something super interesting, but where exactly the problem, right? And, and on this side, there's so many different uncertainty and also so many different assessment. For us, we do touch this as well. We did invest several like AI cutting edge technology, but the way we interpret is just like I mentioned to you, because we have some unique understanding of the potential market. We can, we know actually this type of technology, for example, deep generative model, like GAMV, that type of thing is actually one of my favorite topic. We just feel this is the next generation of AI platform. And we know in certain area, we talk to some of the customer, some of the enterprise in our network, we figure out there's some potential use case. And for us, that, well, of course, you have to be a little bit patient because normally this kind of like side cutting edge thing normally take a little bit longer time to achieve the PMF, you know? Yeah. So, exactly. so that's probably, yeah. But usually probably, VCs are not very patient. So how do you cope with that? <laughs> yeah. I, I think the lucky thing for BDMS is that we are long-term patient capital, you know? So we are not looking for a short-term, you know, like exit or something. We, we, we always love to invest early. And we want to basically stay with the company until the, you know, the exit or until the end of the journey. Understood. And so I can imagine that you're seeing a lot of deal flow in Europe and maybe also beyond in the deep tech space. And I'm still wondering because you mentioned this tech push kind of thing. So there's a great invention and now it's looking for a problem, which is the classic example of spin-offs from many university. Is that still the dominant startup, deep tech startup that you see out there? Or do you also see more who started with a problem and then were seeking to find the right tech wherever they get it from and, and kind yeah. of uh, do it the other way around? So what do you see out there? I, I think I, I see both sides actually are both growing. And also interestingly is um, like in the old days, I mean, a couple of years ago, I actually most of the probably spin out from university a little bit like solution looking for problem. but also, people real, realize this is sometimes didn't work out very well. So actually, lots of them got support from like university, you know, tech transfer or people who have been through this journey to help them to find the PMF before they're going out for raising the money. Because that's more easier to convincing the VC, you know, also easier for them to raise the money. I, I would say it's kind of like converge between the two. So there's more and more like people who find out the business problem, trying to figure out using a very cutting edge technology to help them to make this more efficient. So I do see a little bit, I would say, convert or merge between the two these days. And, and, and actually that, that's even better most of the time, you know, um, for, for us as an VC investor. And now I'm wondering in general, when you look at those early stage ventures, what are the key assessment criteria for you? We want to, I would like to talk about the team as well, but maybe let's start with this market opportunity and all the technology itself. So how do you go about understanding what is quality? Yeah. So, so that's basically back, back to our team members as well. So each of us basically have a deep expertise in certain type of uh, technology. So we basically continue doing lots of research, understanding, you know, on the technology and the market side. So we normally go, go very deep dive into the technology side with the founders, particularly in the early stage. We, um, like, for example, if you're doing like AI side uh, kind of stuff, I normally go into the code level. I read your code, 
I work, I basically see how things moving on, on your side, on the technology in super detail. We also talk to expert. We talk to someone within our network who specializes in this area. So we do quite a lot of a deep dive into the technology side. And on, on the market opportunity, definitely we want to see a little bit more clear on what kind of like, you know, uh, market or kind of like use case you are more focusing on at the beginning. But having said that, it really depends on the particular technology, particular founder's background, and also the type of business they want to build also in the long term as well. Absolutely. And to what extent are you supporting to shape, for example, this use case definition? Because from my experience, uh, there's lots of researchers who have that technology and might have a use case in mind. But as we all know, uh, this is this is something you need to iterate over time in order to find the, the perfect use case. Is this something you're helping with as a team after investing or even yeah. before investing? So I, I think we, we help on both sides. So before the investment, we will do some assessment basically to make sure we can see a potential in the use case. And after we did the investment, I normally sit with the, the founder in the first board meeting, like two to three hours. We are very hands-on. We basically have a framework which we can help them to find out the best way to go with basically, for example, certain use case with this technology, whether it works or not. Okay, makes sense. And then let's talk about the, yeah. the team maybe, because this is of course interesting. And you said this is similar to other types of, of startups, uh, tech startups, uh, wh whatever we want to define that. Um, the typical mm -hmm. team that you see out there and that you would like to see before investing, how does it look like? Is this this, this tech nerd who is the key specialist in, in AI um, and you are bringing the business competency and maybe bringing at some point a, a new CEO to the team? Or would you like to see this, this combination already, having a business guy on the team from the very beginning? Uh, and maybe there, there's not, not that much of, of a need for, for someone with a very deep technical expertise because they... They should stay in the lab and, and work on new ways to develop the technology further. So what kind of team structure do you prefer? And I, again, yeah. there's probably not one answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That, that's basically the first point I want to mention is there's no like one gen, one correct answer. It also depends on the nature of the business. Also, some sometimes depend on the founder as well. So I, I would say that the best... Uh, case I normally see from my experience who I saw deep tech doing well is the founder who also is the inventor of this technology actually drive the business at least in the early stage. I mean after series B stage or growth stage things could be totally changed and sometimes people you know investors prefer to have some like like a, a dedicated CEO who drive the company to the next stage but at least in the early stage the best case for me or the best example I always think is actually founder is also the technology vision guy who basically drive the company but having said that most of the time i would prefer the team has someone who has a little bit strong commercial mindset because at the end of the day you have to find the product market fit and normally the people who has a little bit strong commercial mindset can really help basically to complement the skill set and thinking with the actual tech founders that's normally the best case i've seen but having said that sometimes you know for example if you're doing a little bit open source based, you know, dev tool driven kind of like deep tech, like machine learning engineer tool sets. It, it actually, most of them are just engineer because their go-to-market strategy is actually selling to developer. Then you probably don't need a little bit like enderprise salespeople, you know, uh, uh, mm -hmm. as part of the team to drive the commercial side. 
So it's it's quite flexible. But generally, one key rule I normally follow is I normally prefer uh, the founder or the CEO is is basically the the tech inventor or someone who involved in this technology significantly. But however, having said that, there's one exceptional case is particularly if you're doing investment in spin out from university, lots of time the professor don't want to really be full time on the on the spin out on this uh, startup. That's also absolutely fine. But we definitely need someone who drive this as a full time. So the professor who can still keep in the university can provide the talent and the tech guidance to help the company to move to move to move to the next stage, which is absolutely okay. Which brings me to the cap table, and I, I know these discussions. And yeah. there's professors um, who own the patents who have been in that tech field for many many years, and there is maybe the young PhD who has been part of the research group, and maybe this PhD guy is the one who's going to found the company, but still the professor wants wants to be involved. And then there's the research organization themselves, depending on the country and, and some, um, uh, yeah. depending on the, the structural um, things, they might have an appetite to be part of that journey as well and take shares and take equity in those spin-offs. So what is the what are the deal structures that you see out there which one would you deem as this is pretty yeah. weird and doesn't make sense and which are the ones that you find investable yeah i mean i, I did quite a lot of uh spin out from like you in the uk i mean cambridge is probably one perfect example they have a very established and reasonable ecosystem and most of the time it, it's so so in theory basically first depend on country so some countries, IP you develop during the university belong to university. So that's why when you do this spin out, university normally need to get involved into a certain percentage. But as a VC investor, I normally don't expect the university to occupy, you know, a large amount of the on the cap table, which is going to be trouble for the next round. But for some university, I know, for example, like in Sweden, if I remember correctly, the IP doesn't belong to university, it's actually belong right. to the person. So whoever actually founded the startup actually owned the IP. So firstly, I would say depend on the country, depend on the different university. And some of the best university I've seen is they already have a very established ecosystem. They know how to do spin out properly. They know what percentage all the way, whether doing exclu exclusivity licensing of the IP or doing some other way with the startup. They already, some university, I know they're already very, very mature in this way. And they know what is basically looking for. That's why normally they would have a very perfect, you know, structure on the cap table. But I know some university is don't have a, a like clear policy, and sometimes they basically discuss, you know, deal by deal, you know, depend on the real case. So I've seen so many different, you know, cases in different, you know, country. So I, I wouldn't say there's like a, a one best answer, but generally. For us, we don't prefer universities to have a large chunk amount of like, you know, shares on the cap table, which we feel could be a big problem for you know the company to raise. And what does that mean? Talking numbers here. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I don't want to give an sure. exact okay. number. Give me a range you know, because. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, definitely above ten percent will be a red flag for mm -hmm. me, at least. I would say, yeah, and, and some of the best universities I've seen. 3%, even 2%, 5%, quite a lot. But I also saw some university got like 20%, 30%, which is a little bit scary, to be honest. Thanks for, for giving us the picture um, here. 
And now let's transition to, to the question, because you're seeing so many emerging startups and technologies out there, what are the ones that excite you the most? What is the hot stuff out there today? Yeah, sure. No problem. I, I think there's a couple of sectors we are pretty excited um, you know, in the next couple of years, which we believe is going to be a big opportunity. Uh, firstly, on the AI side, you know, so compared with a couple of years ago, today, you know, deep learning or whatever machine learning, those technology did have a really big impact on the enterprise. And we do have seen more and more enterprise customer society start uh, adopting all those technology. So that's why we, we do feel all those uh, new type of learning, you know, in, in the AI is going to make a big impact. And also uh, probably AGI, artificial general intelligence, still uh, a long way, I would say, my, my failing at this stage from our research. But we do see there's much more better algorithm, you know, better way basically to learning that those stuff is getting really, really, you know, important. And within AI, there are a couple of areas we are super excited. Firstly, is a causality in AI. So at the moment, most of the AI algorithm of basically they focusing on is more on correlation. And if you can figure out the causality within the AI, that's a really, really hot area. And the other one is on optimization of something called tiny ML. Basically, there's more and more machine learning model need to deploy on the edge device or any you know, mobile phone and those things. If you can optimize the model to be more efficient to run all those uh, edge device, that's going to be another major use case, which we can see. And uh, other thing is, like I mentioned, deep generative model is definitely one hot area we, we do look at. Also graph-based, you know, graph neural network, that kind of stuff. That's on the AI area. Also on the quantum. So maybe the, maybe if you could briefly check something like um, this causality AI, what are major use cases for that? Sure. Where do you I, see that work? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll give you a simple example. Sometimes these days, lots of time when business use those uh, AI, you know, system, they need to use the AI to make some decision making. Right. And, and at the moment, most of the time, people can only give you correlation factors, like saying, okay, if this is A, potentially B happened. But what business really need to understand is one step further. What exactly causing this thing to happen? If you can really tell business that kind of stuff, that can bring more value to the business decision. That can help them to make more, you know, informative, more basically uh, accurate and also more reasonable for them to understand everything. You see that that's that's a that's one thing, and um, on the quantum side, we, we do feel like quantum computers, you know, quantum technology can potentially be the next uh, big move, you know, in technology. So we already did some uh, quantum investment in the area, and we are keep looking for new type of you know quantum technology as well. And thirdly, one area we do look at quite a lot is a semiconductor, particularly in Europe. We notice actually there are lots of actually very good rich ip based you know semiconductor technology but we feel there's a big gap basically to help to funding those entrepreneurs to basically you know uh, build something you know in this industry but given this is a very complex uh, value chain semiconductor and also it's quite hard to scale up that's why you know this industry is famous for like less funding you know particularly in the early stage yeah and the last field we also look at is uh, anything related to biotech definitely because um, we, we feel the next generation of the biotechnology is already on the way, particularly given there's more data you know, available, there's more you know, algorithm, more advanced algorithm. So this data-driven way, 
how to change the drug development, how to provide something more efficient is definitely going to be another hot area for us. You've mentioned AI, you've mentioned quantum computing, you've mentioned also biotech. Um, these are typically fields where people would argue Europe is lagging behind the US and also Asia, especially China. So what, what's your take on that? If you look at what's in there in the universities in Europe, yeah. uh, is this still a competitive ecosystem here? I, I mean, I actually slightly disagree on that, to be honest. It de depends on what angle you, you look at this um, this statement. I actually, I, I did some research before. I'm interesting, like, for example, in the field of AI. I mean, if you look at the number of papers public, uh, US is still the top, China is second, then UK is the third. However, if you look at the citation, number of citation, the quality of the paper, sometimes, you know, like all those big conference, who are the best paper? Actually, UK, Europe is actually ahead of China in this way. So uh, particularly in the research area, in those more advanced cutting edge research, I do feel there are lots of like uh, good researcher, good basically research foundation in Europe. However, what Europe is really lacking is commercialization. If you look at the China, how much money they put into semiconductor, how much money they put into the AI, right? And on the US, they already established a very like continuous workflow of commercialization, all the different IP-based technology from Harvard, MIT, you know, UC Berkeley. However, in Europe, I feel firstly, not, not too many people really looking into this area, particularly in the early stage. Secondly, there are less people who are really good at commercialization, this IP-driven stuff into a big market. So, so I think I think from that angle, I agree with your statement. I think Europe is still a little bit behind, but I do see it's catching up. But from the research perspective, I do believe Europe is not behind with anyone. Actually, there are lots of good researchers there in Europe. Yeah, and I think most people would agree with that assessment that technology itself and R&D is still pretty strong here, but it's lacking on the commercial side. And is that due to a lack of money and investors like you who A, do have the money, but also an appetite for going into this very early stage and at the same time also uh, into deep tech? Uh, is it because uh, maybe the, the the founders and the experienced entrepreneurs in Europe, um, they are not focusing too much on building those deep tech companies and supporting researchers to to do the technology transfer? What, is, what are the core ingredients that we're lacking here? Yeah, I think it's as an ecosystem. Like, like, like I can give you example is I, I look at some of like spin out from MIT, Howard. It, there's so many people, there's an established ecosystem who really help such early stage founder to move from one step, each step by step. It could be from Android investor, it could be from VC, it could be from university itself. However, in Europe, I feel it's a little bit fragmented. Like mm. UK, Cambridge is a very good example. They are really good at those things. They have their own ecosystem and probably somewhere else. But there, I feel there's a lacking of a general ecosystem who really, really can support this kind of thing. Just like you mentioned, right? If you look at C-Stage, Deep Tech, there are very few investors are truly doing Deep Tech investment in Europe. Most of them probably is more opportunities-based. So if there's a good deal, there's a good investment that I consider doing it, but they will not be continually, continuously looking and helping those kind of like journey. So, so I think that's really the, the major key difference. But having said that, I do see deep tech in Europe is getting more and more important and there's more and more investors are paying more attention to trying to help this ecosystem, which I think is go going to be really, really important. And, and lastly is this also need a lot of collaboration because for deep tech, 
it's very tricky. You need like people who from university who understand this, you know, to collaborate with uh, investor who have the funding, right, to support the company. Also, who people who been through this journey can give them lots of help. So that's why deep tech is normally need a lot of collaboration as well, particularly in the beginning. And how do you see all this public money going into that space? Because I think in Europe, what's happening is that either on the EU level or on country level, governments are pouring money into this um, interface between R&D and the commercialization part, because they see that there's really the problem. Um, do you see that as a good thing or would you love to see more private money doing this job? I, I think having those public rounds from the government is, is, is definitely a good thing to have. However, I think it's need to achieve a balance between the private and public money. Because like the private investors sometimes because they have a different risk appetite, also different target compared with public round. So my feeling is you don't want any one of them to dominate the market significantly. But definitely for deep tech, having the public money with the private investor who can help the business to move on the commercial line, commercial side is always a good mixture. So in overall, I would say ha having those public ground can definitely help um, the deep tech startup. But I also don't see you want like 100% all from public ground. You want some private investor money because they can help you on really on basically making something really happen from the commercial perspective. At the end of the day, you still want to build a successful you know, company. You are not just doing the pure research anymore. So that's why I would say a mixture, have a balance between the two, normally can give you the best result. I see your point. Um, and also a hot topic is definitely sustainability. Uh, are you hopping on this train as well? Or how do you see that from a VC perspective, all these new startups and initiatives around mm -hmm. saving our planet, which is a good thing. And at the same time, it's becoming very crowded, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think th this two years, this is a very hot topic. But interestingly is, if you look at lots of uh, sustainability like startup, it's always associated with deep tech. So for me, sometimes I feel it's actually interesting. Those ideas I saw like long time ago already, but just during that time, the market is not ready. And recently, because market is really hot on this area, then all those technologies suddenly came out again. But actually, for me, lots of them, I saw them before, actually, from tech perspective. It's really just the market timing, the market opportunity seems to change. And that's why sustainability, all those startups can raise money, can become very like hot target area. <laughs> Which know? could be a greenwashing. So it's still a technology looking for the market. And so there's greenwashing just to attract some money. Uh, yeah. Or actually, it's the right timing to position it in that field because there's now money available also for very risky uh, startup endeavors. And so it might be a good thing to to do this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's always, um, I mean, market opportunity or market timing is always a key key important thing right. for deep tech. Yeah. I mean, now, like, like, like you mentioned, even though, say, for example, some of them still in R&D looking for a problem, but at least, you know, the market there. So you just need to find really what kind of problem this kind of like sustainability technology can really solve. At least I can see the market opportunity there. That's why, you know, there's more and more money flow into this area. But regarding whether they really solve the problem, I think you have to do your own assessment, also your own judgment on that. Very true. Final question to you, Rick. Given your European perspective, what would you like, what is your wish list that what needs to change in Europe so that we get more of those great deep tech ventures? Yeah, I, I think 
couple of things I think we need to change. Firstly, which I already see some of them are moving, you know, on, on this way. Firstly, like in university, I think we should really encourage more like researcher, PhD professor to consider to commercialize their IP-based technology. That's the first thing. Secondly, like I keep mentioning, you need to build an ecosystem because this is really need a collaboration between different parties. It's not just a simple like, hey, I have a great technology. I know how to do this. Then give me the damn money and then we do it. It's not that simple actually in deep tech. You need to basically create this ecosystem to really basically help them to move one step further. Um, I do see lots of like top deep uh, like tech-driven university in Europe is moving this trending. And, and lastly, you know, deep tech market is really hot. So definitely um, the investor need to be educated in the correct way to view the deep tech and needs also to be a little bit patient as well, which I already noted there's more and more VC investor looking into this area. They basically want to take a little bit more risky compared with other area. So I would say that's the couple of things probably I want to you know see in the next uh, you know few years if we can move more and more toward that I think we can definitely have more and more interesting deep tech startups. Interesting and maybe a follow up question to the, to your final comment. Yeah. Do we need also a mindset change for the LPs for the limited partners because they are also setting the rules for the fund structures, right? <laughs> if we want to really have the patience for these long term journeys of deep tech startups. Yeah, I mean, for, for LP, I think it's always a two-way, right? So one way is basically as a VC investor, you can influence them because you can tell them this is actually one good investment error. On the other side, you also need to invest in good deals to allow them to see the return. But of course, then on the LP side, they have to basically understand, you know, deep tech slightly different, you know, how we build them, which I already noticed there are more and more LP actually want to put money into the deep tech because they notice this is the way actually going to fundamentally change the world and eventually give you the biggest return in the long term. So, but, but, but having said, I don't think this is a LP's a single responsibility to say, hey, I need to put money more into deep tech. It's a two way. As an investor on the GP side, you have to convey those information to them. But on the other side, they have to understand each other. So I always say this is like a two-way communication on this way. And you're paving the way as a role model, as Speed Invest, and with your fund and your team uh, to, do, to do that and to show that there is actually returns for those kind of startups. So thank you, Rick, for this conversation. I enjoyed it a lot, and I think this was very insightful. Thank you for your perspective. No problem. Thank you so much. Really, really enjoyed the chat. Thank you. Perfect. Bye-bye.